good to see each and every one back tonight, and I hope that you have your minds set to study the book of Ecclesiastes so that we might grow in our appreciation of God and what He has done for us. It seems that each and every week as I prepare these lessons for Sunday night, as I continue to try to read through the book as well as to listen to others' appraisal of the book, that there are many people in my judgment that have missed the meaning and the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. They have looked at this book and some of them have described it as the resident alien of the Bible, as if this book doesn't flow with the rest of the books of the Bible. Some of them have looked at it as being just purely cynical, some of them have viewed it in many ways that I believe does not respect the high level of inspiration of the Word of God. I believe Solomon is trying to paint a picture for us of this world and all of its warts and all of its flaws. Each week our study considers one aspect of how little this world has to offer. That's as it should be. As we sing the song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We have to realize that this world is exactly what God created it to be. But God created this world to provide for us a place for us to develop our faith, and to respect Him and to respect His Word. God did not intend for us to fall in love with everything that is in this life. The preacher, which is Solomon in my judgment, pondered what was done under the sun and what it accomplishes. And his conclusion was that all is vanity and grasping for wind. If you live your life with just the joy that you get here, you're going to find it to be a very meaningless and fruitless life. Chapter 5 will continue this survey with the additional element of something that Solomon has not dealt with to this point, and that is one who has an ineffective faith. So tonight I'd like for us to look at the chapter by following this outline which outlines the various verses of perverted worship in verses 1 through 7, political injustice in verses 8 and 9, personal covetousness in verses 10 through 17, and then finally in verses 18 through 20, a proper perspective that God would like for man to have. So let's begin, first of all, by focusing on a perverted worship. Solomon is given to us a picture of a person who comes to worship God. Let's look at verses 1 through 7 as we begin. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let, your heart, let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven 
and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to not vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is vanity. But fear God. Now, if you will notice with me, he begins by this phrase, walk prudently. The original words carry with it this idea, literally, watch your step. You're about to enter into a worship with God and watch what it is you're doing. What does that mean? That means that one should be very careful when he enters to worship God that he does so properly. I thought about, as I presented this morning, the plan for a series of expository sermons on the book of Ephesians. How is it that you can develop and deliver the lesson in the most effective way? But you have to realize people have to come with an intent to learn. People have to prepare their minds. They have to prepare their hearts to be ready to receive what God has said. Thus, walk prudently. Be careful of your step. How do you do that? He uses the words to hear, to listen, rather than to be rash with your mouth. Quite often, it's very easy to say, I believe this. I would do this. I think this. James 1 and verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. There's a lot to be said in what James observes here. He then describes a hasty heart, one that does so hastily. That means getting in too big of a hurry. And he points out that this reflects one who does not think about what he is doing. We just sing songs, and what do those songs say? What's the meaning of the words? When we pray a prayer, do we pour our hearts out and our minds Before the Almighty? Or are we singing words vainly? Are we even singing them at all? You see, there's a lot to be learned from what Solomon is talking about, a perverted worship. Proverbs 29 and 20 says, Do you see a man hastening his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You see a man who will speak before he thinks. There's more hope for a fool. And when it comes to worship, who more than God should we think about what we're saying and being careful with it? 
Is God pleased with what we say to him? One's mouth, he says, can cause our flesh to sin. When we think about a man's mouth and about his words, we tend to think about a person cursing. We tend to think about a person telling a lie or bearing false witness. I'd suggest to you the greatest concern we ought to have is when we assemble together here and we offer our praise and our devotion to God. How may one pervert his worship to God? The first thing is failing to know what is being done. Solomon observes that a man here does not realize that what he is doing is evil. The person doesn't think about what he's doing. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Are there people tonight assembled right now who are offering worship to God who are doing as Paul described to Titus here, being abominable and disobedient and disqualified? Yes, there are. That's the reason why 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? The idea is I've got to evaluate, look at, test my own heart. Think about what it is that I'm doing. Otherwise, my worship is perverted. A second thing that he says is that God is in heaven and you're on earth. A perverted worship is when we think ourselves to be on a level with God. I know there are people today who talk about wanting to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And they speak of God as if they are on a plane with God. As if they could speak to him as one speaks to his neighbor and his friend. And yet when I hear Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, give God the respect that is due to him. Psalms 50, verse 20, David writes, These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. We should never think of ourselves as on a plane with God. God is always going to be higher than we are. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 7 and 8. A third way is being more concerned with what we want to say rather than what God has said. Have you ever found someone that when someone else is talking, they're not listening to what that person is saying. They're already thinking in their minds how they want to respond. Frequently, I have seen Bible classes where people are more concerned at saying what they think than hearing what God has said. 
In Job chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, we read, Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? I want you to listen. Zophar is standing on the side. He's listening to Job. And all he's thinking about, this is what I want to say to what Job is saying. I've got a response to every point Job is making. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, He who answers the matter before he hears it, it's a folly and a shame to him. If we will humble ourselves before God and before His Word and be willing to listen to what God has said, we will be much better off than trying to share what we want to say. Number four is making promises that we do not intend or we may not be able to keep. He said in verses 4 and 5, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. Because God does not take pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. That goes back to Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not to delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. How many people promise things to God, whether in their personal prayers or even in the songs that they sing, what they will do? If you make the promise to God, you better keep those promises. Now, what do I see in this? I see to begin with a perverted worship. But then if you go to verses 8 and 9, you're going to see a change of thought from this perverted worship to now the political injustice that exists. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the prophet of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. The preacher here is considering the actions of the officials and the kings. And what do you think that he sees? What do you see in our society? In other words, if you just open your eyes and you look at justice and fairness and equity with regards to our government, often one sees injustice where there ought to be justice. Chapter 3, verse 16. Ideally, the government was designed by God for good, for our good. Notice chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Have you seen that too? Solomon did. In Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. You see, Solomon said, or excuse me, Paul said, God designed them to do good. God designed them to reward or praise good while punishing evil. Yet frequently, the oppression comes down from the highest levels. And those higher up, everything is for them. If you'll notice the latter part of verse 8 and verse 9, it's very difficult to see in our English language. It's also a very difficult passage to uh, to interpret or translate. But the idea is, is that the king is served from the field and everything goes up for these people. It's all for them. Do you ever feel like you're working for the government rather than the government working for you? Do you feel that's just and do you feel that's fair? Solomon says, okay, look at this world. I see... Over here, perverted worship offered to God. I see political injustice that takes place with regards to man. And now he's going to take a third one. And he's going to go from that to the personal man and his own covetousness. Read with me now verses 10 through 17. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked he shall return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Wow. What does Solomon see here? Just like when we studied chapter 4. You remember the first few verses of chapter 4? He talked about the oppression of the poor, how they suffer under the hands of those who are over them. And then he flip-flopped and he looked at the frustration of the rich man who had riches. And you see that same sort of a flip-flop here. Here's a rich man and what does he enjoy out of what he has gotten? Those who have acquired much have difficulty in enjoying it. Why do they have difficulty in enjoying it? 
because they're afraid it's going to leave them. They're afraid that misfortune is going to come. And just like he was born into this world with nothing, he's going to leave with nothing. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly like an eagle toward heaven. Paul put it like this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You don't put your confidence in them. He points out that one never has enough. The person who loves silver never has enough silver. The one who loves increase is never satisfied with the abundance. With increased profit comes increased spending. Do you believe that? Watch people who have been struggling to get by on a day-to-day basis and then all of a sudden let a lot of money fall into the lap. Do they increase their spending? Most certainly they do. Solomon goes on to observe that the worrying about this prevents a man from having good sleep. He said the rest of a laboring man is sweet. He enjoys it. The man with abundance is worried about what's going to happen to it. Misfortune can cause him to lose it all. Now let me sort of try to take all of what you've seen here. The perverted worship, the political injustice, and the personal covetousness. And let's look at verses 18 through 20 and see how Solomon ties it all together. He said, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him the power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joys of his heart. There is a tremendous amount of wisdom within those three verses. The word translated good here is the word that elsewhere in the book of Ecclesiastes is translated better. Go back to chapter 5, verse 18, and he'll, if you'll notice that same word that is found in other places. God gives the gift of the enjoyment for one's labor. In fact, here in this passage twice, he calls it his heritage. That's something you inherit that's been bestowed or passed along to you. God has bestowed this upon man. Chapter 2, verse 24 says, Nothing is better than for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also was from the hand of God. You go out, you work hard. Let's say you're a farmer. 
and you plant a crop, you harvest that crop, you are duly given the privilege of enjoying that. You ought to realize that's something that God rewarded you, a heritage He gave to you from that. You shouldn't feel guilty that is somehow I don't deserve this. But verse 20 in my judgment provides a profound insight. Those busy with labor will not be preoccupied with what they have or don't have, but will have the joy or gladness of heart. Here's a man out here working hard each day. He makes his daily bread. He rejoices in that. Here's a man who has a bunch acquired, and he's not laboring. What is he doing? He's worried about, will I lose this? Will I get more? The value of labor and diligent work. I don't guess I'd ever really appreciated Acts chapter 2 verse 46 like I have since I have been studying this section. Luke records so continually, continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread to bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Why did that early New Testament church find the joy, the happiness, and the gladness that they did? It's because they were working together and enjoying the fruits, the benefits of that labor. That's the proper perspective. Solomon looks at life. Are there people who are perverted in their worship? Sure there are. Are there people who are suffering at the hand of political injustice? Most certainly. Are there people who are caught up in personal covetousness of the things that they can acquire in this life? Well, yes, there are. But there's joy from knowing that God has blessed you in this life, the preacher's ponderings are able to help us put life into proper perspective. We should enjoy life that we have here to the best of our ability, but to keep our minds focused on the life that is to come. That makes me think of what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He is not denigrating the personal bodily exercise. But here's what he says. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Having the promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. I think that draws attention from the physical to the spiritual. To say that what is important is the future and all of God's promises that go along with it. Solomon has just done this. He's pulled back the curtain and he has exposed all of the failures of this worldly life. 
only to focus us upon the future that God holds out for us. If you will, take your songbook now and let's open them together and prepare to sing this song of encouragement. What a blessing that God has bestowed upon us this evening that we can gather together to praise Him, but also that there is another opportunity for a person to become a Christian, for a person who knows they need to be baptized for the remission of their sins. What another privilege God has granted for those who need to be restored to faithfulness to do so. If you need to respond tonight, would you come together as we stand and sing?